0: Battles of Westeros, back Park, ingenious, high creationary, Super Rhino, Garuba, Mafia de Cuba, escape from zombie city. On a Thomas Celestia, fury of Dracula sleuth, unusual suspects. Doctor panic, fake heart, just escape from Atlantis between two cities and wrecks. Merchants in a pursuit of happiness, Dicksilla's gone, yard. Banger does coconut, space girls, Tapo, jump of so called my capelago, networks ticket to ride. Mysterium Escape from Aliens paperback and so- Hello and welcome to Board of Games the show where you finally get to hear the conversations Jeff and I have about our board game collection. My name is Lachlan Albert and I am joined by my good friend Jeff Setti. Jeff, how are you mate?
1: I'm uh, well mate. I uh, haven't seen you for ages. Been ages. I
0: know it. it's been Almost twenty-four hours at this point. That's absolutely massive. So, uh, yeah. look, let's let's quickly talk about board of games. What we're doing here. Um, if you don't know us, my name's Lachlan. This is Jeff. We are both hosts of the show Making Chicken Salad on Wrestle Radio Australia, where we talk about what goes on around the world of professional wrestling. And every time that show stops being live. It's just Jeff and I talking about board games while we force our co-host Todd Eastman to suffer in silence. Um, Because as soon as we found out that we were both board gamers, I think as soon as Jeff saw this collection, it was just on. And we just started going. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I think we've got a lot to say. we both we both play games all the time. And it felt like if we were going to be having these conversations anyway, it'd be a great opportunity to kind of show people the games we love, talk about the things we love. And especially something that we want to do here is promote games that are coming up on crowdfunding platforms because that's something that we often find a bit hard to hear about. Uh I was, I know I was saying at one point that some of these crowdfunding games if i had even heard of them i would have backed them immediately but Mm. without knowing that they're out there it's just impossible to do so
1: and um interestingly the first game i'm looking at is a crowdfunder uh and now people are trying to source it as hard as they can Uh, And you know what I'm talking about, because the buzz about this is massive, and it gets bigger (laughs) and bigger day to day. Uh, The other thing I want to mention is, uh, it won't just be Lachlan and I you'll be hearing from. At times, we're going to bring guests in to have chats with us about their favourite games and what they want to do. Absolutely. So. Kind of what we're looking
0: at here is each show we plan to uh, take a look each at a game that we've gotten our hands on fresh, something from at least the past couple of years that we can show off something new. Then we're going to go back into the archives because board games have been around for a long time and find something a little bit older that you may have missed and each bring something interesting that's maybe not as new but still worth checking out if you haven't heard of it. Then we're going to have a look at some Kickstarter or other crowdfunding games, see what's coming up on the horizon. And then to close us out, we're going to have a draft on a particular topic where we each get a list of three games drafted back and forth to see who can uh, put together the best little mini collection for the category. I'm psyched. I'm sure, Jeff, you're psyched as well. So did you want to kick us off and talk about our first
1: game of the podcast? Of course. What an honour. Uh, and it's an honour to talk about this. Now, I'm going to lift this up for anyone watching on Twitch. Uh, and this is Hegemony. Uh, a lead your class to victory. Uh, it is a brand new game. It has been out for literally oh, about six months. It was a Kickstarter. It achieved its goal quite easily. It's, uh, it's created by, and excuse me if I get these names wrong, Varnas Timi- Timiotio and Vangelis Bagiatakis. Uh, originally, the game, I believe, was started as a political science project in their, in their classes. Um, it's a fantastic game. It's an asymmetrical game where you... You play as a class of citizen within a society. Uh, there's the working class, the middle class, the capitalist and the state. All have to work together, but yet you're still trying, because obviously you do in society, but yet you're still trying to win the game. It's not the most optimistic game, but gosh, it's good. It's a long game. It's a heavy game. I know I'm starting with something quite, you know, down there and, and heavy. Pretty but beefy, I played uh, a couple of weeks ago, I bought a con, and it just, I'm just so happy I backed it and so happy I've got it. There's a lot of interest in it, and I think that um, if you can play it, do, but be warned, including teach, you're sitting there for four hours. It's a four-hour So slide. I, got, I got a question about this one, Jeff. When it comes to
0: kind of asymmetrical games, at the moment, asymmetry is really hot, and mm. there's kind of different versions of how asymmetrical games can get you know from starting from i think vast the crystal caverns is the one that jumps out to me has been these games where everyone is like almost playing a totally independent game and then there's other stuff like uh you know um there there was a dungeon crawler recently uh hellscape massive darkness 2 which Mm. was a dungeon crawler where everyone kind of had their own mechanics of play which is really interesting when it comes to asymmetry in this thing how different is
1: Playing. This sorry, look, you've you've broken up or I've lost you. Uh I'm gonna go ahead and answer. I'm not sure which one of us is broken up, but this game is very much a um an asymmetrical game, much like the latter, much like the the effect that you're working together and you the society links in together. Uh, can you hear me, mate? Are we, are we back? I'm back. Returned. Okay. Um, so the, the game is is an asymmetrical game in, in so much as you all work together. You all have to work together, but you have your own goals. You have your own uh, winning mechanism. You have your own uh, aims and uh, ways to attain victory points, ways to attain money, because, of course, the game ultimately is all about money. The state gives it, the capitalists want it, the working class need it, the middle class get it, but they it's not as vital for them as the capitalists and the working class need it to just procreate and just keep going. It is a lot of fun. There's also, uh, of note, there's also, uh, with the Kickstarter, they supplied a historical events pack. So you're actually getting real-life events that's to achieve. Cool. And I think that's really, really cool. I haven't yet gotten into that. Um, I've only played it twice, but I'm so looking for. Even now talking about it, you know, I'm looking forward to to sitting down with four or five people. Uh, just be warned that the four people you you want to sit down to this with need to be dedicated gamers. You can't just be like, oh yeah, I've played. You know, I've played um, the Rhino game where you're building stuff. The Rhino Rhino I, Hero. Rhino hero i played Rhino yeah. hero twice i'm i'm ready for hegemony no, a couple of games no, a not. ticket to ride under my belt yeah you're not this is this is a completely heavy game this is for like if you want to someone who who loves brass birmingham would love this game someone who loves um your, your more heavier root campaigns or oath would love this game because it is that that heavy that dense that thick but boy is it rewarding so rewarding
0: fantastic. Uh, If you don't mind, Jeff, I might start talking about my fresh game. Uh, This one is absolutely hot off the presses. Let me turn around and grab it for Twitch. And that is disney animated so this is a fresh game from prospero hall from funko games uh you may be familiar with prospero hall they've been doing basically all of the big licensed games recently so if you've played things like disney villainous uh Mm -hmm. if you've played things you know like pan am or uh there was a really popular they're, they're kind of really notable for turning things that look like they're going to be cheap cash-ins into actually enjoyable games. (laughs) Um, Sometimes it's been a little hit and miss on that because they are aiming at a simpler market. Um, But this one... Sorry, did they do the Marvel ones
1: as well? Because they're quite good.
0: uh, Some of the Marvel ones have been done by them. I think most of the Marvel stuff is Fantasy Flight. Whereas uh, they, they are a division of Funko actually. So if you see things like there is actually a a Funko Pop Vinyl miniatures game Uh, (laughs) that's actually done by them, which is such a bizarre thing to exist. Um, Can you hear me still? Yes, 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 yes. Okay, brilliant. Everything on my screen has just disappeared. Um, Uh. But that's okay. Okay. Yeah, uh, so they do some really interesting stuff. And this Disney animated, um, as soon as I heard about it, I had to jump onto it because it's actually got one of my favourite mechanisms in it. Uh, If you have played, uh, the most recent game to kind of grab hold of it was Ark Nova.
1: Oh, Um, I absolutely love Ark
0: Nova yeah yeah uh the the action selection mechanism from that and from civilization uh a new age and civilization a new dawn so it's an action selection mechanism where there's five different actions in the game and they're splayed out one two three four five numbered and whenever you do an action you do that action at the strength that it's sitting on pick Mm -hmm. it up move it back to slot number one and shuffle everything behind it forward. That's the key idea of this game, which is a mechanism that I love because it encourages you to do whatever action is most powerful at the time, but also makes you think about, is that action actually useful to me right now? Mm-hmm. Rather than taking action number five and doing it at strength five, am I better off taking the four or the three strength that's more, you know, circumstantially useful, but not yeah. quite as powerful? Um That's a mechanism I really enjoy. And Disney Animated takes that mechanism and puts it in a family-weight co-op game. So this is a really interesting idea where basically you play as uh, animators for the Walt Disney Company in kind of the peak era of hand-drawn animation. So this includes five different uh, classic Disney movies and each player plays as the animators behind that movie. Oh, so lovely. you can play as Snow White, Fantasia, Alice in Wonderland, 101 Dalmatians, or Aladdin. And over the course of the game, you'll be using the actions to put together the background and the set, the animation cells of the characters. You then drop on top of those animated backgrounds. You have to... Each film has a different special power associated with it. So, for example, if you're playing Snow White, you get seven dwarf tokens that you can use. Huh. If you're playing Alice in Wonderland, you get to place the Cheshire Cat token. Really fun stuff
1: like that. Um, if you, and play, the as, if you play as Aladdin, do you get a mildly racist token? Yeah, you do, actually. Uh, you get uh, you
0: actually get a genie token for Aladdin, and that's, you know, exactly that. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's super interesting, and each of the player movies are associated with a villain that goes into the villain stack and they are trying to stop you from getting the movie made because they know that the movie ends and when it ends, they suffer. So they don't want this movie coming out on time, Um, which I think is a lovely little, uh, little thematic touch there. So each player will add a villain to the pile. You get some nasty stuff that happens every round that you've got to try to prevent happening or else your movie speeds towards its deadline and you won't have enough time to do everything. Um, The components are fantastic, as are most Funko games, especially the the backgrounds of your board are made with tetromino pieces or polyomino pieces that you've got to slot in to make, like, a puzzle of a background. And once you've completed each of three sections of your background, you can place a, like in Gloom, a clear card with a coloured picture of the Disney character onto the background, like placing the animation cells onto the painted background. Um, it's really wonderful. there's unique special abilities to each of those characters. I don't think it's exceptionally difficult. Uh, and a lot of the time the options are pretty self-fulfilling right If something's at power five, you probably want to do that action more often than mm. not because it's a co-op game it has a very interesting uh way that it works because in those games like Arc Nova when you have this action track, it's in front of you and you're deciding what to do with these actions. As a co-op game, it's the same action track for everybody. So if you're taking, let's say, the sound action to put sound into your movie and moving it back to spot one, if the next player wants to use sound, it's now at spot one. So you have to communicate with the table to go, you're the next player. I can see that you really need to, you know, paint the background. So I'm not going to take background because I know you need it to be fairly high. That, I think, is really interesting. I love when a co-op game makes you make a suboptimal choice for you to make the best choice for the group. And Hmm. uh, the, the little end condition for each team, each player is great as well. Once you've finished putting together everything onto your movie, you flip over your reminder card, and on the back is each player has a unique way to defeat their villain. So for example, if you're playing Snow White, you can only defeat the Evil Queen if you've distributed all of the dwarf tokens to different players, right? So you have to do something special to what you're doing in order to get that final hit in. Um, I really quite enjoyed it. I think this is probably going to be everywhere very soon i think that it's definitely a family weight game but with mechanics that are interesting enough i think this is a great way to introduce people uh, who aren't necessarily gamers to some more advanced ways of thinking about games especially once you turn the difficulty up a lot of the games that you know we talk about introducing new gamers to tend to be really simple this does a really good job of not being exceptionally difficult but still encouraging players to make choices that benefit other players in interesting ways um i'm very impressed with it i'm excited to play around and play as every different uh, one in there but that is disney animated
1: um See, so that sounds... i'll just
0: throw that out there
1: that sounds terrific. That sounds like a, a really fun game. I should explain. I'd tell uh, you and everyone how to play Hegemony, but we don't have time. It is seriously. No, there's, there's no way. <laughs> it is it is a big game. Uh, next week I'll, I'll choose something a bit simpler, but I just wanted to highlight how good this game is. It's 8.6 on Board Game Geek, so you know it's going to be yeah. good. But it as as kind of this show we're doing
0: we do want to manage how much detail we go into with each game yeah. so that you yeah. get an interesting understanding
1: of what's going on without just sitting here explaining rules the whole time yeah yeah exactly um and i think the the uh, that sounds fantastic the the arc nova yeah. mechanic i love that mechanic and the fact that you yeah, need to brilliant. work with with others to use that mechanic is amazing i was actually going to look at arc nova next next time but i uh, i might anyway because yeah. obviously you, you've played it, so I would love <laughs> to talk Ark Nova. Always happy to talk Ark Nova, but um,
0: Jeff, have you got another older game to kind of show to us? Yes, I do. This is actually a
1: reskinning of Libertalia. This is Libertalia: Wings of Galecrest. Libertalia was a 2012 game that, to say the least, is now reflected on, upon in a slightly problematic way. Uh, They had a few cards and actions in there that were kind of probably would be seen as politically incorrect in the modern era. So what they did... A very 2011 production. Yeah, it is a very 2011 production. Uh, In 2021, Stonemaier Games picked up the rights to it and changed uh, a lot of the cards and changed a lot of the titles. This is an interesting game because every person in the table plays with the same deck. It's how you use the deck, how you manage the deck, and how you complement each card within the deck that can win or lose you the game. It's a rollicking amount of fun. And excuse the pun there, but it really is. There's different treasure on each voyage that you need to strategically pick up and put away. It's really two games. There's a base side and an advanced side. The advanced side gets a lot trickier. The side it's just a fun game. I lent it to a friend of mine who went off to Sydney a few weeks ago. Hi, Ben. I'm going to send you the link to this tomorrow. Um, And he uh, he said that he played it with his nieces and nephews, and it's their first adult game. It's their first game that's not like, you know, um, Hungry Hungry Hippos or any of those kinds of things, and they loved it. Uh, The only issue, if you consider it an issue, and I mean, you know, games are are a lot about capital now, sadly, and this is one that's definitely about achieving capital. But, boy, it's just beautiful. The artwork is fun and beautiful. The mechanics are nice. There's a day work, there's a night work, and there's an end-of-ship work. I can't recommend it enough, and it's a reasonable price. I think you can still pick it up for about $40. So, yeah, really worth it. Having played the original Libertalia but not Winds
0: of Gale Crest. Have you played the original Jeff? Uh no, I have not. Okay, so I am not familiar with what changes are in here and neither will you be. But one of the things that I felt with Libertalia originally was that it could be exceptionally mean. Um quite quite a teethy game when it comes to taking actions that hurt other players because hurting them was actually more beneficial than what you could do to benefit yourself. Um, Is is that something that comes through that new edition? Yeah, there is a
1: little bit of that. But, I mean, that goes down to the players you play with. So if you're playing with the right players, there's nice banter, there's nice kind of discussions around the table and so on and so forth. So, you know, you you, you kind of go, okay, well, there's going to be a bit of revenge and bloodletting here, but let's have fun doing it. Uh, there is still a teethy element to it, and I think that that's part of the joy for me, to be honest, that you're playing with your mates and you're kind of going, ah, I got you there, or, or you yep. know, whatever it is you say. Um, but uh, nonetheless, I think that, Taking away some of the harsher elements within the cards themselves has probably increased the amount of fun that you're having naturally. So it's probably less teethy, as you said, uh, because of that. Saying that, it's still about winning. You still, you know, there's there's a winner, yeah. there's a loser in every game, uh, and this is this is just such fun. This is just such. And fun. what I found with
0: the original version, at least, was that, like you said before. Every player is playing with the same cards. So the way that works is that one player will randomly draw a set of cards for use in that round, as it were, and then they show them to everyone else, and everyone else gets exactly those cards from their deck, right? Mm. And then it's a, it's basically a, an action selection game. You put down the card, you all reveal it, and whoever has the lowest number goes first up to the highest number, which means that whenever someone, at least in the original, did something nasty to you... It was something that you had the ability to do to them and you knew that the odds of it coming up were fairly high because you only have so many cards to pick from and you know the opponent's picking from those cards as well.
1: Yeah, and what I often find is that there are cards which let you take somebody else's treasure. It's quite repeated within the context of the game. What I found when we play... In my gaming group, was someone would go, "Oh, you haven't? He hasn't had any treasure stolen yet. Go and steal from him." (laughs) We essentially become children in the playground again, but in such a fun way. Um, Look, yeah, it's it's an interesting game. It's a fun game. I'm someone who one of my things pet loves in in games are are good quality coins and good quality, Mm. uh, you know, um, bits within a game. Uh, so Libertalia, I got the, the gold coins and the silver coins and everything that just to make it that much more of a pleasure to play because I think the nicer the components, the more likely you are to play the game again, and the more likely the Absolutely. investment pays off for you. And I think I think Libertalia is just a fun, light, wonderful game while having an element. It's sure it's a little bit teethy. You don't want to play with your immediate family. It'll cause as many arguments as Monopoly, but it's it's just flat out fun. Yeah, absolutely. So that is, uh, and whenever you see Stonemaier on a game, you know the
0: production's going to be nice. So that's Libertalia, Winds of Gale, Crest. Uh, Now, for my pick that's a little older, I'm going to reach behind for something a little bit bigger. And this is one of my all-time favourites. This is Cyclades. Cyclades is uh, the brother of a couple of games that are really quite well-loved, Inish and Kemet. I believe Kemet is the most kind of popular of this trilogy. Um, All games that involve kind of mythology of different regions. Um, I'm highlighting Cyclades today partially because it's one of my all-time favourite games, but also partially because, as we'll mention a little bit later, there is a new edition coming on Kickstarter. If you've heard about Cyclades before, you might've heard that uh, certain expansions are essential. And I massively disagree with that. And what we're seeing with the new edition coming out is that they've taken little bits and pieces from those expansions and incorporated them into the base game for this new edition um, without whole hog taking some of the things that those expansions did. Mm-hmm. Um something that people often say is that one of the expansions is essential because it it makes it a bit more dudes on a map fighting there's combat every round and what i actually enjoy about this game is that it is a massive dudes on a map kind of war looking game that isn't just that and this is something that I think will become a trend when we hear me start talking about games that I enjoy, games like Blood Rage up here that look like it's a massive dudes-on-a-map war game but is actually a clever little drafting game. Similar with Cyclades, looks like a big dudes-on-a-map fight, fight, fight game. Really, this is an auction game. So the way it works is it's a fight to be the first player to control three metropolises at the end of your turn. And the way that that happens is you can build a metropolis by getting different buildings and putting them together into a big city, or you can you know, get certain cards that make a metropolis, or you can wait for your opponent to do it and then waltz in with an army and take theirs. Great yeah. stuff. But the way that the actions work is you can only take the actions afforded by one god each round. So, for example, if you want to move your boats around the board, you're going to need the favour of Poseidon that round. If you want to invade with an army this round, you need the favour of Ares. And how do you get that favour? With an auction. So what happens is you're going to bid one for a particular god and then someone else might come along and bid two. And that knocks you off, which means that you have to bid on a different god after that. Oh, my God. So if you bid, let's say, four on Ares because you need to attack, the next player goes, no, five you got to go somewhere else. So that means maybe you bid high somewhere else that is just as good, or maybe you purposely bid low on another god, hoping that someone else outbids you there so you can return to Ares and outbid the player who outbid you. I find that auction system really, really interesting. Um, It makes for a lot of table talk at that part where you kind of are going, hey, what god do you want? (laughs) and other players kind of don't want to tell you because they don't want you to bump their price higher. But also, it's like, I think he's going to win if he gets Poseidon, so I need you to outbid me here so that I can outbid him on Poseidon. (laughs) So Ah! all sorts of goofy fun. There's um, a bunch of miniatures in here. I'm not someone who often loves miniatures, but everyone's got their little risk-like army, but there's also a few classic greek mythological monsters in there that are so much fun the kraken for instance a big sea monster that you can just move around and eat every boat on the board if you feel (laughs) like it and just ruin everyone's day um i find the mix of combat with economic management to be really really interesting in this because as much as one of the best ways to win is to just bombard other people with troops You can't Mm. do that unless you've got the money to hire those troops and get them marching. And I find that so interesting that it kind of forces you to turtle sometimes to build up that reservoir of money to then go all out on a later turn. Um, I think it's absolutely excellent as far as a game that looks like a bash-em-up good time but really makes your brain tick. Like I said, I'll be talking about the new edition that's on uh, Kickstarter very soon, but that is uh, by Bruno Catala and Ludovic Moblanc, Cyclades, a game that I absolutely love.
1: So is it, I, it sounds a little bit like Dune in some ways and a little yeah. bit like uh, Ethnos or... Um, the, ethnos the, is then, a
0: great comparison, right? Ethnos, yeah. another card game where we've got the big map in front of us. It looks like we're maybe going to be coming in and having a biff bash them up, but then it's not bad It's about clever card play, um,
1: uh, very much along those been, lines. And Ethnos has recently been reskinned as. Uh, Archaeos, I can't remember what the second word is, but uh, it's basically, it's had a fascinating reskin that I I actually just picked up this afternoon. and I'm going to be looking at quite soon because I think Ethnos is a wonderful game. And the reskin. I love Ethnos.
0: Archaeos Society is the reskin. Archaeos Society. I'm really excited to cry, which I've heard kind of replaces like. It's still the same game, but rather than area control, just uses tracks to kind of yeah. simulate those different areas, which I think is yeah. a very interesting choice.
1: And apparently it's more archaeological than God-based. So I'm really looking forward to cracking that open and, and having a go. Um, so it sounds a bit a bit like a cross between the two almost. Uh, how long how long's the playtime on that one? Because it could be quite lengthy. Look, it, it is a bit of a longer game, but without the
0: teach, I it's definitely in the 60 to 90 range, depending oh, on how much time players want to think on their actions. Um, one of the things I will caveat is there is some very typical kind of paths to victory and there's one that's a bit notorious among players which is one of the monsters that you can get is the pegasus which lets you just pick up an army from anywhere on the board and drop them anywhere else to have a fight Mm. and so there is a bit of a tendency for the last turn of the game to be someone who has one metropolis Using every cent they've got to churn through the monster deck as quickly as possible, find the Pegasus, pick up their whole army, drop it onto another metropolis and win the game. Um yeah. so that's there's there's a few things like that where experienced players will go, hey, just so you're aware, this Pegasus card does this, you know. Um, I think yeah. in the new edition that is going to be lessened a little bit, which is
1: exciting. But even with that, I think this game's an absolutely stellar time. Yeah, look, it sounds like something that I'll certainly have a look at when it comes out on Kickstarter and look at the levels because uh, it's definitely a different kind of game and sounds like a lot of fun. What's the player count for? Uh, It's minimum two goes up to five. I would probably
0: not play it with less than four. It's a four or a five yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, because if you start going below that count, you take out gods for each round of bidding who then randomly show up at the next. And um, it does a really interesting thing where the gods come out in a random order and that is player order for the next round, which means wow. that sometimes... A god like um, Athena, for instance, actually doesn't do much. She just gives you a card or two and a building that doesn't do much. But if she's at the top of the order, that means you've got first pick of those monsters, which can
1: be really powerful. Um, yeah. So it does some really interesting things with that. I did forget one thing to mention with Hegemony. Uh, you want to play at four, any less than four, and you start to lose stratus of society. So that's important to mention. Um yeah. Yeah, look that that Cichlid sounds amazing, and yeah, so I much I fun. adore it. So um, much fun. There, there is actually something that we
0: chatted about the other day that I didn't put on the run sheet, and I think now might be an opportunity to talk about it because I still have it on my desk. So this ah, is something that yes. a friend introduced me to. This is magic board game tape. That's how I'm choosing to market it. This is bondage tape from a sex shop. Go to a sex shop, grab a roll of bondage tape. Because what this stuff is, is it's self-adhesive vinyl tape. Now, what that means is it's not sticky. It's not elastic. It's just, if you're watching on the stream here, you can just see it's a bit of rubbery tape, right? This one's bright pink for all your fun and games needs. But rather than being sticky, it adheres to itself. Just static electricity sticks to itself. No problems, fairly tightly, but totally reusable. Now, a friend showed me this, showed up to their games day, and when they opened the bo- the board game box, all of the decks of cards were wrapped in this tape. Not too tight, nothing that's going to constrict cards like a rubber band would, and not leaving a sticky residue on anything, but holding the cards together so that if that box gets shaken around in the car in transport or whatever... Those cards are going to stay together as a deck. They're not going to run all the way around the box, as some games have a tendency to do. Um, Absolute magic solution to that problem. I cannot believe that no one had ever mentioned it to me before, (laughs) that, you know, bondage tape is this miracle of keeping your board games organized when they're getting jolted around. Um, So I'm in love with the stuff. There's, There's a hot tip for anyone uh,
1: looking to keep their components organised. And it's especially good, and I mentioned this at the time, I'm someone who loves to sleeve most of my games. Most of my games are sleeved. I like having the cards in the, like, they're easier to handle. They they they, they don't crinkle. They don't bend. I, I love my games, so I look after them very, very well. That tape is a must-have for anyone who who sleeves their games because by nature they, there is that little bit of static between them sometimes when you're lifting them out and they can get stuck together, but that tape will bind them and then release them. So, yeah, amazing, amazing, great idea. Absolutely, yeah.
0: Really, really interesting uh, application of something that's not not its intended use, but so, so useful. Um, yeah. Now, Jeff, did you want to talk about some of the crowdfunding stuff that's
1: going on at the moment? Yeah, there's some interesting crowdfunding stuff. There's a couple of uh, games that that are crossing and one that's coming up really, really soon. You've got about, oh, you've got two days, uh, two days US time, so probably about two and a half days to back the uh, Firefly the Game 10th Anniversary Edition. This is a much acclaimed game, which is hard to pick up. It's it's definitely, definitely hard to get. Uh, they're, they're putting everything in a box. All the expansions, everything is going to be in a box. It's a big game. It's 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 a, a fun uh, recruit the crew go out there um, do some missions come back it's clearly uh, it's clearly a cooperative game uh, a lot of fun and it's much much acclaimed uh, they that that's on Game Found which is Awakened Realms uh, independently started their own. Kickstarter because they didn't like the way Kickstarter was run uh, and apparently this is a bit better it, it's it's fairly expensive it's fairly expensive but it's every expansion ever made every promo card printed and a new expansion that's never been released so there's over a thousand cards in there um, navigation decks lots of lots of really really nice components so I'm, I'm looking forward to that one I'll jump in to talk about Firefly a little bit. I think if you
0: are a fan of the Firefly series, it is really immersive in that universe. There is Mm. so much going on that is pulled straight from that show that really lets you sit in that world, which is a beautifully created world. Um, So interesting with characters that I just adore. Um, I think that it is a big, long game. It is one of those games where... If if you're having people to play it, you're building the day around that particular game. Especially once you start adding in those
1: expansions. Um, and let's not let's not uh, mistake us. It's not Twilight Imperium long. No, Nothing no, no, no. it's Twilight Imperium long. But it's a one o'clock till six o'clock game. It's a five hour yeah. game. It's, and, it's a five and, hour and game. That's, that's with everyone knowing. The game—that's with everyone having having stake in the game. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm so looking forward to getting my hands on this one. I I, you know I think they're gonna they're gonna um, it's gonna be the ETA on it is pretty quick. I think it's gonna be early next year, which is not bad at all. No, it's not. Um, I'll say that if anyone is familiar
0: with Star Wars Outer Rim, and you want something that feels similar with that pick up and deliver and all sorts of events going on throughout the universe but shifted across to a different universe. Firefly is that game. It is like a bigger, beefier version of Star Wars Outer Rim is kind of how I would pitch it. Yeah. Um. I'm, I'm... Yeah. yeah. As for, um, I want to talk about the Cyclades Kickstarter quickly. I did, you know, just kind of talk about my love for the game. This is the Cyclades Legendary Edition is on Kickstarter at the moment. So this one is, is that your hand raised, Jeff? No. Okay. Yeah, the Cyclades Legendary Edition is fully funded at this point, as I'm sure uh, Firefly also is. I didn't get the chance to check that. On Kickstarter, um, this is a reworking of Cyclades, including some of the... All uh, expansion elements, Cyclades is a game from 2009, so it's been around for a good amount of time, and it is being reworked by Open Sesame Games with the original designers Bruno Catala and Ludovic Um, two legendary designers, really, who have done a lot in the last 14 or so years, and um, have actually redone a game recently with the new edition of Kemet. So they know what it's like to redo a game. This new edition looks beautiful. One of the things I'll say, which is something that I have been begging companies to do as an Australian, is have a version of the game that does not include tons and tons of miniatures, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Open Sesame Games has an ultimate pledge that's €120 plus shipping. But if you don't want to be all in on those big hunks of plastic they have a version that comes with meeples for the character pieces and standees for all of the neutral pieces. And that's only 59 euro plus shipping. So that is a huge discount for if you're international, if you're, you know, here in Australia, for instance, and the amount of shipping that gets added on when you buy those huge Kickstarter full of minis boxes, the fact that It's a little over half the price to get the same game, just with some simpler components, I think is absolutely phenomenal. And that's something that, you know, I would encourage just about every company to do with their Kickstarters because I'm going all in on this one because it's one of my all-time favourite games. There are a lot of games where if there was a cheaper version without all of the plastic, I'd be in because I want the
1: gameplay, not so much the minis. I mean, it, it depends. Like, at the moment I'm playing in uh, with a couple of friends, I'm playing through Tainted Grail, and you really need the plastic. You need the minis mini for some here. of those games. Yeah. Uh, same with uh, Nemesis. I think that you need that imposing queen alien dropping on the board. These are games we'll be talking about in the next few weeks to months, I'm sure. But... Um, you, you need them in some games, but I agree. Some games it's just like, like for me, if I back Cyclades, which it sounds like I'm going to, the $59 one would be perfect. Just perfect.
0: Yeah. And like a game like Blood Rage here, it's got some brilliant minis. I would love the game without the minis. If I was able mm. to get a cheap copy on Kickstarter when that was on Kickstarter, I would have. But because of the shipping, because of all the plastic, it was originally out of my price range. Right, which makes it really difficult I had to wait till it came into retail in order to be able to get an affordable copy so I really like what they're doing there with Cyclades with that option Um, they're including stuff like a team mode variant Um, now this is going to be a long Kickstarter, the Kickstarter is running for another 35 days so you've got plenty of time to back it but uh, definitely worth checking out one of my all time favorite games in a lovely new edition
1: you got another one for us, Jeff? Uh, yeah, the other one I've got is completely different to anything we've we've spoken about today. It looks like such a cute game. It's Tangerine Games have created a, a, a lovely game called Nestlings. Uh, this is where it's a worker placement uh, bidding with dice and you are... Um, placing, you're putting your bird nest together. Yeah, look, it's another animals game, and I think animals games are probably some a hit and some a miss. Some personally don't work for some people, and others work amazingly well for for some people. And I can have much the same mechanics, but this sounds so much fun. Each round, players roll a set number of dice, and then optionally choose to re-roll any of those dice before placing them into your biomes. And then it allows players the opportunity to mitigate any dice rolls that aren't beneficial. Um, and then you complete, compete for, for the priority uh, that you have or is dictated by you. Um, and the, the, it's gaining uh, priority that is important. It's based on a top-down left-to-right system, meaning players who place any dice for, uh, first in, the, in any biome will gain priority. However, a player moves that, bias, that dice in the same biome, they take priority from whoever placed first. Look, it sounds fascinating. It sounds fun. It sounds quick, and it looks beautiful. The nice thing is the the Kickstarter page actually has some um, some playthrough videos, so you can see what it's going to look like on the table. And you know, for the for the deluxe edition, it's about seventy nine dollars. So that's quite reasonable. I think that yeah, for a quite
0: cute game,
1: yeah. I think that's 79 US. So you know that is well worth a look. I heard about it somewhere. Uh, the 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 person who is designing this group's next game is an Australian that I heard interviewed, and I I thought well that that does sound like fun. So check it out. It's uh it's only got about ten days left, so you don't have a heck of a lot of time. Uh, but I, I think they they've got 84 backers, so they're pretty close to achieving their mark. So if you want one that's just going to be a lovely game to play with the family or some mates on a Sunday, I think Nestlings is a good one. So that's
0: Nestlings on Kickstarter. Uh, one more on Kickstarter from me, and I will make a bit of a disclosure before we go into this. Uh, the artist who worked on this game is a personal friend and has been on Wrestle Radio Australia previously. So there is a connection here. Um, potentially I will have a copy of this game to have a bit of a play of for our next show so I can give a bit of a more in-depth review of what the gameplay is like. Um, But I did want to, you know, in fairness, let everyone know that I do have that personal connection to this game. But the game that I'm talking about is Book It. Uh, So this is on Kickstarter at the moment with a new Tag Teams and Title Belts expansion where you can also get the original base game. It is the pro wrestling promoter card game. So this is uh, a bit close to the hearts of Jeff and I who have met (laughs) doing a wrestling podcast, Uh, a game that involves putting together uh, sets of wrestlers into matches and hoping that that's going to make you some money as a wrestling promoter with all sorts of uh, different locations that you can put on shows which are going to affect how different uh, aspects of the wrestling matches make money. Um, I think the most exciting thing about this is probably if you are a wrestling fan, the art on these cards has people who are definitely legally distinct from wrestlers that you're familiar with. Um, it's so fun to see uh, characters like, you know, someone in a denim jacket and pants named Butch Julius. Um, that, that kind of thing um, just absolutely gets me. And there's so many of them in here. This is going to be one where, regardless of the gameplay, I'm going to back it just so that I can see, you know, the, the tag team, the hot stags of Mac Maxim and Mick Maxim, um, that's that's just going to delight me more than enough. So that's Book It, which is currently on Kickstarter with their tag teams and title belts expansion.
1: Now, I, uh, at this point, I'd also like to mention, because it is such a popular game. Uh, if if you're not aware, the third and final Nemesis game following Nemesis and Nemesis Lockdown. Nemesis Retaliation is going to be on game found sometime in the next three to six months. No one is exactly sure when, and apparently this time it is the humans fighting back. So it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a wild ride, but the Nemesis games always are. I will definitely be talking about Nemesis in coming weeks as one you might have missed, but you want to grab.
0: Fantastic. Now, to close us out, we want to have a bit of fun here. We're all about games, and a great form of game is a drafting game. So we're going to have a little bit of a draft here, like you might see when people draft sports players, but we're going to draft games. Each show, we're going to come up with a category. We are going to draft our top three picks each from that category, and we are going to let you, the viewers and listeners, decide who put together the better draft pick on our social media. Uh, If we have some guests, they might also be involved in picking a winner here. But we figured that since this is our first show, since we're introducing this podcast to you all, a great first topic would be games to introduce new gamers to. So we're each going to get three picks, three games to introduce new gamers to, and then we're going to see who came
1: out with the best group of three. Jeff,
0: what's your first pick,
1: mate? I should add, we are also going to be able to question each other on our picks. So we're also going to be able to ask a few questions so my first pick is the game that introduced me to gaming and yes I'm a relatively new gamer but you can tell I take the, the topic seriously and I'm I've got a relatively good connect, uh, collection uh that is blood on the clock tower it was the first wow. game I played uh about four and a half years ago now um and I was gonna I, say that's
0: a fairly recent
1: game to be your, your first game you must have played well, it when it was very fresh. When it was very fresh, I also played it with uh the TPI fabled storyteller, Melbourne's fabled storyteller, Ben Dance, who we have to get on here at some point, Benny. Oh, but uh it was it was a blood on the clock tower was the game that introduced me to gaming. Um it's it's a wild and crazy social deduction game where you are in a room with a bunch of friends. You don't know who's good. You don't know who's evil. And you just have a wild time calling each other liars, telling each other to piss off and get away from your conversation. But you just have fun. Uh, it's complex the first time you play it. And each time you play it, it's like an onion. You get, you get more and more layers removed. And you begin to see more of, of the game behind the game. It's an Australian game as well, which, you know, near and dear to my heart is the fact that we can We can get behind some Aussie games, as you've just done. And, uh, yeah, it's just a tremendous game. I did play it while it was still print and play. And, of course, now you can get copies. It did sell out really quickly, but you can get copies.
0: I'm going to be totally honest. I don't like this pick, Jeff. I think this is absolutely a bad pick. Um, I would not introduce Blood on the Clock Tower to a new gamer. Uh,
1: It's a beefy game, right? There's a lot going on in that thing. Yes, but your in your involvement is however much you choose. And with a good storyteller, you' you you might not draft a role, you might be given a role, and your role might be a minimal piece of information that you need to impart and your job is done. So it does I, scale according to the role you have. I guess the element that makes the game
0: kind of beginner friendly is that storyteller role. But for me, if I was looking at introducing someone with a social deduction game, my instinct would be either to go to the Resistance Avalon, which is much simpler than Blood on the Clock Tower, or go to something like Werewolf, which, again, if you're a new player and you're given a role of villager, you don't have to understand that much. I feel like Blood on the Clock Tower is a very big uh, investment for someone
1: new to gaming. I... There is there is some agreement with what you're saying, but if you're going to play a social deduction game, you might as well go to the best. You might as well go to the one that is is ruling it right now, and that's why I picked it because it's the it's it's the game that's setting the standard for social deduction. People are picking up Secret Hitler after playing and Mafia and Werewolf after playing Blood on the Clock Tower and are not finding it. A substantive because, importantly, with Blood on the Clock Tower, you can still be active after you're dead. You can still have one vote after you're dead. So you have to listen in. You have to still be a part of the game. I played a game at BorderCon with this young kid. I'm just going to tell this story. I played a game at BorderCon, and there's a game, there's a script with a legion. Now, a legion is almost everybody is the demon. And this one kid was a uh, was a villager. And his role was the empath. Now, the empath wakes up at night and sees how many of their neighbors are evil, right? He told me this really early, and I went, oh, okay. And I thought, I'm going to claim empath and throw him under the bus, and that'll be it. And then, like, I got up. I I found out I was dying, which is fine. I got woke. We all got woken up the next day, and he goes, and the storyteller says, well, Jeff has died. And I went, oh, that's fine. I'm, oh, that shit. I'm the empath. You know, (laughs) I didn't want to die, I wanted to find out more. I then walk up to the kid and I and he looks so crestfallen. And I went, I can't do this. So I walked up and I changed my strategy and I went, mate, I did that so you get all the information. You're free <laughs> to just get the info. You, no one's going to question you because I'm already the empath. And he went, oh, that's so good. And then I just kept telling him it was an atheist game where the storyteller can lie to you. And then at the end he goes, um, I nominate the storyteller. It's clearly an atheist game. So everything I was working on worked. And then he finds out that it's a Legion game that I'd sucked him in the whole game. I walked straight up to him and went, look, i oh, That's I'm so evil. Sorry. Evil, so Jeff. Sorry. I gave him a hug. And then the next morning I said to him, how are you going? He goes, look, I'm still so confused. I'm still so confused. So it's it's those moments. And And then, you know, I saw him later that day and we were smiling and laughing because it actually promoted that bonding and it was really nice. That's awesome. Look, I'm going to take my first pick here. And,
0: again, this is a game that I think promotes bonding. This is a game that I use to introduce people to gaming all the time. I reckon it's actually best in class. I think it's super underrated for this job. That's Forbidden Island. Now, if you don't know Forbidden Island, it Mm. is basically Pandemic Junior. It's designed by Matt Leacock. It's a game that uses the same kind of systems of Pandemic. It's a co-op game where you get a certain number of actions to move around the board and trade cards between players until a player has a full set of the same colour card in their hand that they can trade in for one of the four things you need to have to win the game. It's basically Pandemic. But It simplifies Pandemic and it takes it to a game that's got an Indiana Jones style theme where you play as explorers on a forbidden island who have to find these trinkets and the island is fighting against you. It's sinking around you because it doesn't want you taking these trinkets. So every turn, some of these tiles are going to flip over and start flooding and you can get there and flip them back, but then... If they cu- the card comes up again while well, they're flooded, they start leaving the island. They're fully underwater. The island shrinks and gets smaller. So you have to prioritize what you're going to save. Get all the pieces. I love using this to introduce new gamers because, number one, it's cooperative. And I think showing people new to board games that they don't all have to be Monopoly where you mean to each other for three hours. Mm. I think it's super mm. great to show someone a cooperative game. It takes 45 minutes, including rules explanation. It's not that difficult, but you can scale the difficulty up so that it's still enjoyable for people who get it and want to play it again. It's fairly cheap. It's a game right production that's fairly good. It's got like a toy element. Each of the things you have to grab is a little plastic toy. So you get like the little cup and the little lion statue. And, you know, it's great to have those things that you can hold. I think that the system is fantastic like pandemic is a good game and even a simplified version of it is a good game um the art is great the theme is something that people immediately get everyone wants to be indiana jones um i think that this one is an absolute slam dunk for new
1: gamers it's
0: phenomenal
1: okay so my question is 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 it a little too base is it a little too i mean yeah, it sounds like a great game, but are there are the obstacles decent enough so new gamers will actually get really invested? Or is it just, you know, you do this, you do this, yay, you win. Is it too easy a win or are there real good obstacles?
0: Setting the difficulty before the game is something that's very important when you're getting new gamers in right? Okay. You need to know who you're introducing this game to, you need to know how switched on they're going to be at problem solving, and you need to know how challenging they're going to want this game to be. Okay. Sometimes I will set it to the easiest mode, and I'll know that we're going to win uh, because I know that the people involved are going to start to click with the mechanics, and they want to enjoy the winning feeling. Other times, I'll see someone that I know is switched on, and I'll go, let's set this to the standard difficulty mode. Let's make the island fairly long because you can rearrange the island because it's all tile-based. Let's make it long so it's a bit harder to get to those different points. You know, we've got a little less time to do everything and it's a good level of challenge. I think that it's a simple system that the modular difficulty is really easy to
1: manipulate, which is really good. So I've got a question on that. Yeah. So... What if you're playing with a mixed crew? So what if you're playing with some experience? Because you know, not every game is going to be with a new new game board game. Yeah. But what if you're playing with some experience and some inexperienced? One of the issues that I think this game actually has is
0: it's quarterbackable, the same way that Pandemic is, right? Yeah. So I never want to make it too difficult when you've got an exper- when you've got inexperienced people there. Because if it becomes the person who sees the code telling them what to do, that can very quickly become a bit of a problem, right? Yeah. So, But I think that generally experienced gamers like seeing the puzzle, like working out what they would do, even if other people do things differently. Um, I I think that the play is enjoying enough either way. It's definitely not, you know, what you're getting in with flood on the clock tower. But I think that it is an enjoyable little,
1: you know, activity, like, even if it's too easy for some of the people at the table. You're making it sound like uh, really the basic script of Blood on the Clock Tower is very simple. It really I'm sure. Is. I haven't played Blood on the Clock Tower yet. I'll come out and, and say that. And I haven't that. played Forbidden Island either. Yeah. Uh, are you ready to hear about my second pick? Go for it. Pick number two, Jeff. Pick number two is Betrayal at House on the Hill. It's, oh, I hate this game. You hate it? Hate this game. It's a classic. It's something that's largely cooperative. As long as you get the right mission, it's a lot of fun. It's something that is playable. It's a short game. It's easy to understand. It's easy to grasp the rules. And it, it it's ever-changing. The game is ever-changing. The build of the house is ever-changing. And it is... A really fun and atmospheric game for a new player who goes, Oh, this is, this is, I'm so, you know, the, the scare can be real. And once the scare comes out and once the horror comes out, that's where the fun begins. Sadly, in the original, some of the missions, I will concede, are very slighted some. one way or the some. other. Some. Uh, but as they have remade the game, they have eliminated that and become more and more thinky. Uh, you know, some some missions even include things like the Fibonacci sequence and things like that. It's constantly being updated, which makes it always fresh and always fun. I think I think it's a, a great game to introduce players to who want a, a thematic game and an interesting game.
0: Yeah, look, I'm, I'm not going to disagree that thematically it's really easy to draw new people in with this game because it is so interesting theme-wise. Um I just personally don't like it. I'll admit that I haven't <laughs> I haven't played the third edition, but I find this game to be the first half of it is an activity because there's no goal. You cannot mm. win or lose until the haunt happens. So it means that I hate that first half. I find it really boring and pointless and aimless. Um, and then in my experience, I reckon I've probably played 10 games of Betrayal and I reckon seven or eight of them, the haunt has happened and it has gone Totally unbalanced. There's ah. just been no real way for one side to win, or it's turned into an absolute slog because you just got to roll the dice over and over and over to see if you can succeed at the thing you got to do.
1: Yeah, I will consider edition maybe better, but I haven't had the experiences. Third edition okay. is very good, and the legacy version is excellent. The legacy version is is exactly what you want. Um, my, uh, what's your what's your next one? Yeah, so my next one is a lot of the time when I'm
0: introducing new games, introducing games to new gamers, they've got ideas of what games are in their head, right? Mm. They've played Monopoly, Scrabble, Pictionary and that's what they think board games are. Mm. right? So one of my favourite things to do is to put a game in front of them that says, oh I know you like this game let me show you that board games can be better, right? Mm. And I think Pictionary as far as classic board games go, is fine. But Pictomania is absolutely superb. Have you played Pictomania, Jeff?
1: No, I have heard about it, though. I have heard
0: about it. So Pictomania is a game that is basically what if you took Pictionary and you made it a real-time racing game with a deduction element. It's completely insane, right? Um, It's the thing that I think is so good is that because you have to draw as quickly as you can, Pictionary often rewards people who are good artists. Pictomania Mm. forces everyone to scribble as quickly as they possibly can to make something that is a little bit iconographic of what they're trying to draw. It doesn't have to look good. It just has to look good enough. And then you start guessing everyone else's stuff. Uh, So this is actually by Vlada Shavadl, who is something of a prolific designer, designed games like Codenames and also games like Mage Knight. He's a bit of a savant. Um, I love the way that Pictomania presents you with cards that have a bunch of different possibilities on them. You're not guessing out of a million possibilities what this person's picture could be. There's 18 different options in front of you, and it's one of those and one of the cards will be olympic sports and one of them will be jungle animals and one of them will be different types of shoes so you know they've drawn one of those things and you know that you've got the card that says number 6 so they can't be drawing anything that's number 6 but then you have to race and you have to you have to draw yours and give give out your guesses as quickly as possible and i just find that it is such a great twist on drawing games that is mm massively engaging for me the drawings are always hilarious the speed element means that you're constantly engaged but it's something that people are familiar with oh i get how a drawing game works i draw
1: something you've got to guess what it is yeah um look it it sounds like a lot of fun um my worry is uh you know for me personally i am shit at drawing Take a drink. Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. I, I. Uh, we weren't going to swear in this one, but I am completely, unlike the other one. I am completely I'm, horrible. I'm
0: drawing. terrible at drawing. I cannot draw to save my life. I've, I've got dyspraxia, which is a, uh, a coordination disorder. I am so bad at drawing; it's ridiculous. And you know what? It makes the game more fun because my drawings are always goofy and chaotic and people look at them and they go, what did you oh, I know what it is! And then they get it right because there's only so many possibilities. I love that about it. Yeah, look, that
1: still, it, it does sound like something that's fun, but something that you know, may not, it may not um, be uh, you know, it might be a, a an issue um, for some, uh, you know, with, with with the drawing element, I'm just trying to yeah. It might get in the
0: way of some people's brain, but um, yeah, no, I I think this is great. I think there's there's a couple of people I have introduced it to that didn't like it, but they're in the vast minority.
1: Okay, uh, my third one, and I cannot remember the name of it because of uh, it just el- eludes me for the moment. It's uh, it's a party. <laughs> Let's game. Let's see if I
0: can help you out.
1: It's a it's a party game. Uh, there's a big. Deck of cards. Uh, they all have names or, or things written on them, and you take five and you put two back. And you're oh, in I absolutely know what you're talking about, Jeff. You're talking about monikers. Monikers. Monikers is my third and final choice. Thank you very much. Monikers is a wonderful game. You're into. Thank you, Lachlan. You're in two teams. You break up in teams. Uh, you have uh, and 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 each time you play, you can have different rules. Um, it's a little bit adult. So it's a bit more for the adults if you want, but you can make it kid-friendly, and that's what makes it such a good game to introduce players to. I, I will um, say
0: I have taken this to school and played it with preteens.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. You just filtered out um, the cards
0: that they're not going to work with. It works. Yeah.
1: And, and you can you can make it anything first you describe them then you use one word to describe them then you use mind to describe them then you can you can do finger puppets to describe them or sound effects to describe them or anything like that it gets ridiculous it gets hilarious I have a friend who has mild ticks. I love them dearly. A great friend of mine has ticks. And when they're playing monikers, they are completely tick-free because they're so engaged <laughs> by what's going on around them. It is a brilliant game. Monikers you can introduce. I could play it with my grandmother and my grandmother would find it hilarious. Or I could play it with my next-door neighbour who's never picked up a game and just goes, this is brilliant. This is Fun and silly and light, and I think Monica's is a definite winner. We're playing against each other, so I want to talk bad about
0: your pick. I cannot say a bad word about Monica's. <laughs> what an absolutely bloody brilliant pick!
1: Except for Just the fact that pick. I forgot the name of it.
0: Yeah, and absolutely fantastic. If you can get your hands on Monica's, do it. Um, I have uh, a big box which has several of has the base game and several expansions in it in the
1: one box. Um, So does does, does my friend Liam. Uh, Liam's currently, if you're listening in Melbourne, Liam's doing a magic show as part of the magic. First of all, look up LJ Magician and you'll see it there. Uh, I can't remember the name of it right now, as I couldn't remember the name of Monikers, big surprise. But um, he's got everything, Monikers. So whenever we're doing a game day with him, we always end up playing Monikers. It's a bit like Wavelength, but I think it's better. I think it's got, you know, more to it. and Wavelength uh, has a toy factor that
0: Monikers doesn't. But what I love about Monikers is that everyone gets to bring their own stuff to it, right? And it is almost like it's a cheat code for in-jokes. Yes. By the time you get to that last round, you all know the things that are in there, and you're all shouting out, Alex Trebek without
1: a moustache, when someone does something ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's, there's, um, there's all kinds of things and obviously we're all adults so we play with all the things that are a bit naughty and the sound effects round gets hilarious <laughs> if you've never played it where you cannot say a word everyone closes their eyes and you just make noises god it's hilarious so yeah monikers absolutely one, and one had- of my favourite
0: rounds of monikers is you have to put the player it's it's uh, charades but they've got to be
1: under a bed sheet while they do it that, that's great fun <laughs> I, we, we've had people who have never played, like, they're like, hey, um, you know, they're new to the group and they're, they're, they're the partner of someone who's just bringing them along. And we're like, hey, we're going to play Monicas first so you can see the game that we really love to play as a, as a family and as a group. And it's just beautiful. Just a lovely game. Yeah, yeah wish I could argue
0: with you. Cannot. I love <laughs> Uh My third pick is going to be an Aussie-designed game here. We're talking about, I think a classic when it comes to these simpler games. Uh, and it's a theme that people are going to immediately latch on to. Uh, this is Sushi Go. Um, oh, the great. version that I love is Sushi Go Party. Um, yes. But man, Sushi Go is just flawless. It's a really simple drafting game. You've got a hand of cards, pick one, pass the rest on, take the pile that's coming from the other side pick one pass them on and having a sushi theme the idea that these hands simulate a sushi train going around and you've got to grab something off the sushi train and grab something off the sushi train to get the best meal people immediately love that theme go people go oh i like sushi and then they see the cute little nigiri and the cute little you know mm. it's super cute the rules are super simple to explain the scoring is done with low enough numbers that people can try and work it out in their head. You know, you're not trying to get 14 points off that or 15 points off that. There's two on this card. There's potentially seven if you get two of those, right? You can do that math. You can work it out. And the art is fantastic. It's such a small footprint. It's really quick. It's really simple. Drafting is a mechanic that is in a lot of bigger games in a small way where you draft cards to start the game or whatever. So having a game that introduces a really big time, you know, hobby game mechanic in a way that is really approachable, really good fun, really cute. I cannot think of, I cannot praise Sushi Go enough. I think it's absolutely fantastic and a great Aussie design as well.
1: I I agree. It's a wonderful game. My problem is when you're playing with an experienced gamer with Sushi Go because it is a competitive game, the desire to win will outstrip the desire to play fair with newer players. I'm not saying you do that, but my first game of Sushi Go when I was still like, okay, I'm getting what's going on, this person was like, no, I, I have to win. Like, sure, but I...
0: I also think that came up, you know, like when you were talking about Blood on the Clock Tower, the people you're playing with really matter when we're talking about oh, of introducing games to new people, right? Of course. And and I think one of the things that I love about introducing Sushi Go to new people is to say to them, hey, look, I've got two of this sashimi sitting here. You should make sure I don't get the third one. And they go, "Oh yeah, I get to yeah, take points away from it. That's, that's not every gamer. <laughs> no, it's it's not, and that's fair. But I think that for Nougat, ge- and this is one of the few games where I feel like that base Sushi Go box, I could pass to a family of people who don't play games and they would be able to learn it and they would have yeah. fun. Yeah. I don't know that that's true of almost anything else that has been brought up. Maybe Monika's, Monika's but so. This but this is one where
1: I could just give them the box and they would have fun with it. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right there, but I, I'm just, you know, people's natural competitive instinct, like I, I, I think the, the reason I chose the three I chose were because they're generally not ultra-competitive games, the games that you play in a group. And they bring that's what makes games fun, Is it, especially at first, is that group thing because people still don't think you can play a game with 14, 15, 20 people, but, of course, you can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so,
0: there is each of our drafts for games to introduce a new gamer to. Jeff has picked Blood on the Clock Tower, Betrayal at House on the Hill, and Monikers. I have picked Forbidden Island, Pictomania, and Sushi Go. I think I'll put some polls up on our socials, and we'll see if anyone uh, wants to have their say on
1: who put together the better draft. Speaking of our and, socials... And, and, before you announce the socials, if there's one you think we missed... Write it down. We'd love to we'd love to hear about it if we missed one. Absolutely. So you can do that on our social media. It's if you
0: look right below me on the Twitch, there's the Chiron going at Board of Games Pod on Twitter, at Board of Games Podcast on Instagram. Go on Facebook, search for Board of Games. You'll be able to find us. We will have a TikTok account up and running soon where you can find clips of us. But also You know, make sure you subscribe to Wrestle Radio Australia here on Twitch if you want to see our next couple of shows before we start properly making this our own thing while the lovely Todd lets us join in on his hosting. And I'll also shout out Actual All on YouTube who provided our fantastic uh, opening theme song here that uh, Jeff and I heard with absolute delight when it started
1: playing. Thank you to Todd for grabbing that. And just just before you go, this is our first one. Like we this is yep. literally the first time we've managed to sit down and do this. We'd love your feedback. Let us know what you like. Nice. Let us know what you want to know more about. Let us, you know, so on and so forth. Because we're really keen to make this a regular part of the our little family of podcasts, of which there's now two. Sure. But we <laughs> want to make this a regular thing. We want to have some fun with it. And eventually we're going to get some guests.